Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn sports news and opinions with a little bit of snark built in. My name is Gerald Goodridge, and I am joined by a man who looks like a man, but he's animal raw, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing this week? Uh wonderful raw i guess that's uh i like that you're, you're killing me with these intros man thanks thank thank run the jewels for that that was a that was that was them this week hey, mike <laughs> very nice thank you so much for listening in again this week and if you like what we do it would mean a lot to us if you would leave us a rating or review we are now on itunes on the google play store and on stitcher so you can find us at any of those three spots subscribe leave us a rating or review it would help a ton with visibility and obviously if you are a longhorn share this with your friends because we feel like we have some good insights and they would appreciate it as well so this week we are going to spend just a little bit of time breaking down what went right against san jose state and then looking forward to a big matchup with usc so if you are listening to this podcast i'm pretty sure you are well aware that texas came out and flat dominated san jose state on saturday 56 to nothing it looked like almost a new team so kyle uh we've we've seen now two different games from from texas we saw a an abysmal performance i'll go ahead and call it against maryland and then uh, a flat dominant performance against san jose state so what did you see different from this team uh week to week you said it looked almost like a new team. I think it looked almost like an old team. This was uh, this is a little bit of vintage Texas. Uh, we beat teams that were better than soundly. That's the thing that Texas used to do all the time. We took for granted, and then uh, the past few years we kind of got a little bit away from. Uh, but when a team comes into DKR and a team is not matched up with just the pure talent that Texas possesses, this is the type of outcome that you should see. Um, I think we said last week in week one that we shouldn't be overreacting to the loss was my hope. And I think in the same way, a little bit, you know, temper expectations heading into a really, really tough USC game. We'll get into a little bit uh, later, but uh, also don't, you know, don't overreact and say as, as many have Texas are, are back. Uh, we've heard that one a few times, um, but it's good to see. It's good to see Texas come out, dominate. Um, I think that the yardage differential 623 to 171, that's a very good team versus a not as good team. And, um, few little you know nitpicky things but for the most part uh they came out and played like a very good very uh well coached very well oiled machine like we all hoped yeah and i think we talked a lot and i said this in a preview you know on the site uh we we really didn't expect to see a full 180 and it looks like we got like maybe a 160 like there's still a few things that need to be you know ironed up there was some still a couple of spots where the offensive line didn't get as good of a surge up front you know a couple of spots where the defense got bailed out by the fact that San Jose State's quarterback overthrew some wide open receivers you know I think that was a very that was a very tenuous shutout there are probably two spots where they should have had um, a big gash pass play uh so but overall they looked really well you know Holton Hill did what Holton Hill does and and came up with another uh pick six you know that I want to highlight a guy, Gary Johnson. That that interception doesn't happen if Gary Johnson doesn't get in that quarterback's face. That's for sure. Uh, but I don't want to shortchange, obviously, what Holton Hill did with the ball in his hands. Uh, so, what else did you see from the defense specifically that really uh, that really stood out to you as far as a difference maker? Because that was the big difference uh, last week. Was you know defense was bad this week. Defense was good. Yeah, if we can just go ahead and pencil in uh, at least one touchdown every week, uh, non-offensive, that'll be good. I'd like to see that. But uh, the defense, uh, one thing I loved was third down. Uh, I think they uh, held them to three for 11 or three for 12 
on third downs, which is great. Um, that's that's exactly what you want to see. Is again, that's discipline. In the first week, we were talking about uh, not playing assignment football, getting out of um, playing discipline, uh, things that they knew how to do, uh, kind of overthinking and, and and not coming downhill. And so, seeing a stat like that against no matter what team you're playing uh, is reassuring. Um, I think we may have seen our best linebacker pairing. Uh, I liked. Uh, Malik and Johnson, and, 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 and don't get me wrong, I think, or Gary Johnson and, and Malik Jefferson, that is, don't get me wrong, I think Nation Hughes is a great player. Uh, he's a leader on that team. I think just through two games, he has done um, a little bit less than, than um, the other guys, the third being Wheeler, uh, that they threw out there. And uh, I think we saw a good, good trio that will probably get uh, a lot of run against USC. I think you'll definitely see Hughes in that mix. I saw a little bit more 3-4 from Orlando, too, which is not something I necessarily uh, expected, but he also runs um, some people in different positions with moving Roach in and out. Um, uh, so, so it'll be a little, little bit interesting how that actually shakes out uh, in the big time, um, big game next week. Um, defensive backs, again, the Holton Hill pick six, fantastic. Love to see that. Um, there's still, like you said, could have been a couple um, Big plays that that they got fortunate on that I think a Big 12 quarterback makes that play. The safeties still, for me, have room to, I'll say, grow into their potential because you know there's a lot of talent there, but they're still uh, a little bit less than where we would want them to be. Again, it's the second game of the season, but if it's week six or seven and we're saying this, then we really have uh, have some big issues there. But all in all, I think a pretty solid defensive performance where they came out, did what they needed to do. Yeah, I think the defense the defense did what they needed to do. You talked about uh, Gary Johnson and, and Malik Jefferson. Malik Jefferson, I think fans have missed expectations on Malik Jefferson. I think they expect him to be the fly around the field, make these big, spectacular plays. That's not the kind of player he's he's turned out to be. And that's not to say anything against the guy, because he has been quietly the, the team's leading tackler. He leads the team with 16 tackles. Um, you know, he's averaging eight tackles a game is fantastic, and that's that's what he's going to do at this point in his, in his career. He's not going to be, you know, the fly-around-the-ball guy. He's not going to be the Derek Johnson knocking loose every other, uh, you know, forced fumble. He's, he's the guy that's going to be in position. He's the guy that's going to make the play. I think that was what the big critique on his game was last year was he was out of position a lot. And that's not the player he is. Uh, we'd be remiss, you know, we, we don't have a ton more to say, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, the ground attack against San Jose State. It, it was um, nothing short of awe-inspiring in some, in some spots. You know, finally we got to see um, the Chris Warren that we that we expected to see last year, uh, or you know this year really, he was splitting carries with a guy who is now playing on Sundays and and was a Heisman finalist. Chris Warren had 16 rushes, 166 yards, a whopping 10.4 yards per touch. He now ranks 10th nationally in yards per touch with around 8.3, I think, is the average. He's actually like in the top 100 in total offense, which is just nuts. He ranks in the Big 12, I think, right outside all the guys that are quarterbacks. So, uh, you know, what did you see out of the running game? Where where do you think Texas goes from here? Do you think they continue to leave the oar next to Warren and Porter for, for much longer? Uh, I think it'll be very interesting on your stat that he's the leading yards per carry uh, after, after next week. But I do think no matter what, he's going to be leading yards per carry per pound uh, in the nation for a good <laughs> for a good time to come. And the way he hurdled at, what is he, probably 235 to 250, somewhere in that range, was spectacular um i think we found a absolute sure number one uh don't get me wrong i ride 
so hard, um, you know, sometimes inexplicably hard for people named either Kyle and or Carpenter. Um, I, I have rooted for um, players that weren't that good just because they, they sound a little bit like me. So I'm, I'm all for Kyle Porter, um, but I think uh, the way I see it, we have a clear number one. Uh, I think they'll probably limit his touches just a little bit because he's been a little injury prone. I mean, since Tom Herman's shown up, what, nine months ago, they've seen already two injuries, and they know he was injured last year. Um, so he talked about in his presser a little bit about helping him to not, you know, to be focusing on running not so upright, um, limit how many big hits he's taking um, with that big target on his chest as a huge body running, standing straight upright. But uh, I think, you know, the 16 may be a little low for a big game. Um, I think they will try to try to keep it around the 20 carry range. If he can get 20 carries and average, you know, over 100 every, every game, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Uh, assuming the rest of the platoon can can get in there and do some things. I think Porter is getting the lion's share of that. But I think what we saw, um, and again against later in the game, maybe maybe tired, maybe second string even from San Jose State, but with some, some flashes of talent and skill, um, some some big recruits who are, who are getting to put it on the field uh, in, in Tennille Carter and Daniel Young. Um, what I like from Carter is I think it was his second carry of his uh, of his career. He, he had a hole, and he, I think he got five yards, and it was a good run. Uh, but he got just ankle tackled, got tripped, and saw the green, and he was just beside himself. You know, he just wanted that end zone so bad. The game was already in hand, but this was his chance to get out there, and you could just see it. He was kind of jumping. You know, he he knew that he had it. He didn't get tripped up. Uh, he ended up getting that touchdown a little later. But uh, you like to see that. You like to see a kid who wants to, you know, wants nothing more as a running back than to get the ball in the end zone. And anyone who stops him from doing that really just ticks him off. You know, so uh, I like to see that. I like to see maybe uh, a little bit deeper platoon. Just because Kyle Porter hasn't, um, he hasn't wowed me so far. Um, you know, he's he's looked fine, but I think we have a clear one, and then we have maybe some chance for some carries to be split amongst the rest of them. Do you agree? Uh, well, you know, I I think Porter, he seems to have some indecision in the hole. I think he gets there and he doesn't know what he wants to do, um, which you didn't see. You know, with the other guys, you said you, you were listing more. You definitely cheated him twenty pounds. That man is six four two fifty. Let's just talk about. That, like that, uh, nobody that big should be hurtling over a defender. Uh, you, you, you highlighted the other guy. I'm, I'm a Tennille Carter fan. I think uh, Tennille Carter does not run like he's as big as he is. Tennille Carter's six foot two oh five. That is a big man to be hitting the holes that fast, that hard. He's got a lot of top end speed for a two hundred plus pound back. He's running out there like you know Madden ninety two work done. <laughs> just just killing the game. Uh, so the, the run game is definitely it's going to be a key this Saturday as we see Texas you know go into the Coliseum where they have a little bit of history, I think, uh, to take on the number five ranked team in the country, uh, the U- University of Southern California Trojans. So we um, Kyle, let's let's just put it out there. Texas is an underdog in this. Herman acknowledged it in, in his presser. You know, Vegas has them, I think, anywhere. I think seven and, 17 and a half is the line. You know, Texas is in plus 17 and a half. So how do, you, how do you slow down an offense that's got a quarterback who is going to be a top, you know, pick? He's going to be, you know, one, one or two probably in the, in the coming NFL draft as far as quarterback goes. How do you slow a guy like that down? Man, that was a beautiful homage to, uh, to Keith Jackson there just, just in, in that last game that uh, USC ever played against UT uh, the, the last time they played. Um, it was a pretty good one. I remember watching that one. 
Um, I know it's still actually this week. It struck me a little bit that, that that's very much on USC's uh, the fans at least mine. There've been a few Fox Sports had a really great commercial uh, just with the empty stadium and the video of that playing and playing and playing. And I'm sure it is. You know, uh, they were an incredible team that year and uh, in every other year probably were the outright national champions. But they happened to run up against that Texas team, which is which is fantastic. But um, just speaking of otherworldly talent, I mean, yeah, Sam Darnold is 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 that he, he is projecting out to be uh, the first quarterback taken uh, is getting a lot of Heisman buzz and rightfully so uh, he lost his very first game to Utah when he took over last year as a starter and he's won 11 games since um, I mean he he's done everything right uh, I don't I don't know the answer if I did you know I would be on a, on a coaching staff at Alabama or at least one of the 45 defensive analyst assistants to uh, to tell you how how you stop that <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I, I, one thing that I think is, is he's been a, a little bit um, where he hasn't been perfect this year. His passes, whenever he has time to sit back and find his incredibly skilled uh, targets, he's put them on the money. There's been no doubt about that. But he has thrown, uh, when he's been pressured, he's thrown an interception. He's had a fumble. He's been sacked three times um, against teams that I don't think uh, are uh, as good defensively as Texas can be. Stanford is, is a good team. Um for sure, uh, at the end of the year, I would love it if Texas uh, were a better team, were ranked above. I think there's there's a lot of talent on this Texas defense, but uh, I think you have to get pressure on him, which is which is where you said you know we know what Malik is now. I would love it if if we had a chance to see what we thought Malik could be, or or maybe it's uh, Hughes or Tager or or Roach or someone getting some pressure on him. Uh, we have talent in the in the defensive secondary, but I don't want to put them one on one or put them on an island with. Uh, the receivers that USC has with with the backs coming out of the backfield that they have. Uh, I think that's just a lot to ask of any defense in the, in the country. So I think the way you get around that is you're going to have to scheme and blitz and, and bring some bring some looks against a, a, again, very, very, very good offensive line from, from USC. Um, I saw one, uh, one picture uh, where they had literally cleared an entire half of the field. Uh, their offensive line had just turned Stanford as though they were running in for halftime. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, any running back is going to do well with that. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but my guess is that you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to run a couple different, uh, packages, kind of keep them guessing, give them different looks and, and just hope to get in there and get some pressure, uh, with some of your skill edge rushers. Yeah. And, and that, that is, you know, nothing short of terrifying at this point. Texas is not. Uh, they've got five tackles for loss and I think what three sacks this this season. Um, so they're they're not great at, at getting in the backfield and, and moving the the line of scrimmage back at all. And especially against they haven't played a team with an offensive line as talented as USC. I mean USC is stacked in every single position, so it's hard to to see that trend change. But again, I don't want to I don't want to doubt. I mean Puna Ford is a heck of a talent. Um, you know, Amenahu and Roach are absolute killers on the edge. I think if they can keep contained and keep pressure, um, you know, allow there's some, there is some just raw talent in the secondary. So I think at some point, um, you know, if the cover, if the coverage is there, offensive lines are going to break down. That's just, it is what it is. Coverage stacks are a real thing. So if, if these Texas DBs can play up to the, their billing, you know, there, there's, there's not, I don't think there's a guy in that secondary that's, that's was below a four-star recruit. Uh, so I think at some point, if they can play up to their billing, then they'll allow that defense to get the pressure that it needs and, and pressure begets pressure. Uh, you know, once you start to feel that rhythm, you start to see those guys that are the edge rushers and they start to feel it a little bit and like, Oh, I'm going to whip your tail all day. You know, 
offensive tackle. I've got the step on you. You can't you can't beat me. When they start feeling it, they start feeling it. And it's 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 not the sacks that that you don't need to get a sack. You just need to rattle a guy. You don't need to. Uh, that's that's what we talked about earlier with Gary Johnson. Didn't get the sack. Rattled the quarterback. Colton Gold came away with the ball and, and took it the other way for six. And uh, that's that's what needs to happen. Is is, is you need to get in Darnold's head. Uh, there's a lot of space there to do that. So you really have to go after him and get. Uh, <laughs> you have to get a. Uh, you have to get shots on him to get him to keep him from getting too comfortable in the pocket. So we talked a lot about the running game. We talked a lot about the passing game. Uh, we haven't talked about special teams at all. Um, and special teams can be a difference maker. In, in these types of games. So Texas has what, uh, a punt return for a touchdown by uh, Reggie Hempel Maps, uh, which is a bright spot. But going into this game, 0 for 3 from field goals, two misses and a block. So what if it comes down to the line, do you think Texas has it in it to kick a game-winning field goal to, to come away with the win that they probably shouldn't come away with? Huh, that's a if if it comes down to something like that, and and you know he's a Dusty Mangum, uh, you know two point like an unsung hero. Uh, it's it's interesting whenever anyone talks about uh, or kicker that even even Herman today in his in his presser, you know he he raves about him. He said the guy is, is doing it all. Uh, he just hasn't really translated. I mean he's been he was eight of eight from extra points. He's he's been fine but it's almost uh, it's whenever he gets a little deeper than that, it's been a little bit shaky. Uh, it's over three. I mean. You finish the season 15 for, for 20 from here on out. I think everyone's pretty happy with that. It's not every day you get a Justin Tucker who, you know, I think that spoiled people. And, and Texas kickers have been trying to live up to that. You know, uh, Anthony Farah had all the, the hype coming in. But it's not, it's not every day you, you have a guy like Justin Tucker who probably will go on to be one of the top two or three kickers in NFL history at this rate, uh, but who literally in, in college was that good and was guaranteed from anywhere inside about 48 yards. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just obscene, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I hope it's the point where it's, it's that close of a game and it comes down to it, but man, I, I would, I would, I would hurt for that kid. One thing that, um, we had, uh, a late announcement on the Hempel maps suspension, um, apparently he missed the first half due to, due to team violation. So I hope he can get everything uh, figured out. Cause when he came in, he looked good, both in the passing game, just with his, with his shiftiness, with his speed. Um, and he looked great in week one, obviously with the return and, and Armonte Foreman just, didn't look exactly, you know, the same. Didn't look as good as Hempel Maps did back there fielding punts. So I hope uh, we can we can keep him uh, in that game because I think our special teams being a difference maker is really big for this Texas team, uh, especially as we have quarterback kind of issues and some young guys and some injuries uh, around the field. Having having that and having you know these defensive touchdowns or the non-offensive touchdowns is is a great relief uh, for your offense. Um, but I but I do think coverage was better uh, this week. Um, returns were, were fine. There was no glaring things like from week one. So that's an improvement. But yeah, getting the kicking game and then making it more than just, okay, it was fine, uh, is going to be key. We're going to have to have everything perfect uh, to beat this USC team that by you know all intents and purposes is a national championship favorite or at least heavy heavy contender. Yeah, and and you mentioned you mentioned the the receivers, and and we've kind of been beating around the the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, Ellinger came in on uh, on Saturday for, in relief for an injured Shane Buchel, and and kind of lit it up. I mean, the kid the kid slung it around. He looked good in the pocket. He looked comfortable in the pocket in ways that uh, you know Buchel didn't in Week One. Granted, I think the offensive line performed well above what they did against Maryland, so you can't really fault him for that. So 
you know, Herman said something telling in the press conference today. He said, uh, you know, when Shane gets back, you know, he'll take reps with the ones, you know, until he proves otherwise. And, and it's, it's, he's been kind of ambivalent on who's going to get the start, uh, you know, all through camp. They never really announced it until a few weeks before, uh, you know, and, and everybody thinks Ellinger's the heir apparent. He seems like he's a Herman guy, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, Herman's kind of wanted to put him in, but then, you know, you have other sources that are saying that, you know, Ellinger doesn't look great throwing the ball, but then you see Saturday and he looks like he's got the tool. So Kyle, I'm just going to flat ask you, you know, who do you think gives Texas a better chance to win on Saturday? Gerard Hurd. No, um, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) By the way, we need to name the, the, if he's only going to be a a package quarterback, we need to name that. I mean, 13 Wheeler, but I think that's just, you know, you're going off, you're you're lazy there. So we'll have to maybe next week come back. And uh, if he warrants it, if he has another two touchdowns, we can, uh, we can name that. But no, I think uh, in the, you heard me. That's what we're going to call it. Sorry. You heard me. That's good. Give a little Texas hip hop. Yeah. The thunder and heard, but no, you heard me is probably better. Um, but out of Bouchellinger, I think um, I think you're going to go with with Shane. I, I think uh, I think that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how the season is going to end. And I think what what you've seen in a Tom Herman offense is that the quarterback is probably going to uh, not just scramble when plays break down, but but maybe do some of the the power runs you saw out of out of empty sets that that you know uh, J T Barrett and. And uh, some of those quarterbacks in the past have really fed on. Um, Ellinger showed some wheels. To me, he actually looked better, just to poise for an 18-year-old and the potential to grow on that, but looked better um, moving on the move and, and running than he, than he did just as a pure pocket passer. I thought there was a couple dropped, you know, plays that could have gone either way if the defense made a play um, that we'd be looking back on the debut a little less. But, I mean, for an 18-year-old kid making his first start, he was great. Um, but I still don't know. I think Shane is still the better pure passer. And so I don't think you, you discredit that with the receiving core that you have. Uh, one thing that was a difference, a huge difference in this game between week one, that's one of the big things I wanted to talk about. Um, they, I saw a lot more sets where it was a, a max max protection set. Basically, they went in. Um, they sent three receivers downfield. They brought tight ends in to block. Um, running backs stayed home to block. And so they, they counted on the fact that they had, you know, Colin Johnson and, and uh, receivers who were just more talented than the secondary, even though not to discredit San Jose State is a very talented in the defensive secondary. Um, they, they relied on them just to get open and to make, make wins. That brings different problems, right? So, so Ellinger was going to have a little more protection. The line was going to have a little more help, and they gave up zero sacks. That's a huge improvement from, from week one. What that also means is he's going to have to move around. He's going to have to wait for things to break down. Uh, he's going to have to wait for guys to get open, or they're just going to have to beat him one-on-one. Uh, I think establishing that running game that we saw gives you a happy medium between that. You bring guys in on the running game, but then you send three guys uh, deep but off a, off a uh, play action. All of a sudden you have uh, Colin Johnson or you have John Burt or you have uh, any of these speedsters. DuVernay, I don't know where he's been. Uh, but you have these guys with a step, with a running, with a defensive back looking in the backfield because they know they need to the help on Chris Warren. That's dangerous, and that's where the offense thrived last year under Bichelle. And I think with either of those quarterbacks, that can be it. I think again, you're going to have feel a little more comfortable with Ellinger with his feet. I think you probably get like a sixty forty breakdown, but I think it goes towards Bichelle. Yeah, and I think like you you hit the nail on the head. I think. Um, Buchel is is very accurate in the long balls. I think we did not see that in week one because he had so many hands in his face. But, you know, when – and I'm just going to say this. No matter how talented USC's 
defensive backs are. If you've got if you've got Colin Johnson one on one, I'm taking Colin Johnson every time. The guy is six five, can jump out of the gym. So if you can create some single coverage with him, you know, flash a guy like Armonte Foreman. You have a guy with you know the size and speed of Reggie Hippo maps at, at the at the slot basically. So I think you've got if you can create one on one matchups and get you know feed the beast, feed Chris Warren the ball. You know he's he's now past a thousand yards on his career uh, rushes. You know and he he played basically. He's played six games and he's had a thousand yards. So, uh, you know, you feed the beast, you feed um, Chris Warren, and you give Shane Buchel the, the the ability to hit the guys in stride. You know, you saw Ellinger overthrow a couple of guys in stride on 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 Saturday, and that's no fault of his own. He's played in some big time games. He's he you know took took uh, Westlake to to a couple of state championships, a couple of state playoffs. So he's been able to to tote the rock. But again, I think you, you're absolutely right. Um, in a game like this. The guy who's proven it, the guy who's won these big games, you know, he may not have have won them all, but he's won a few of these big ones. And so I think Buchel gives them the the best option to win on Saturday, especially if they can get the running game going. Absolutely. And just one quick thing. Uh, I think USC in their two games, they've played uh, Stanford and Western Michigan, who don't, you know, give a, a lot of tape or a lot of known about them, but they've given up 133 uh, per game against the pass and 217 against the rush. So the run game, we said it last week, Texas is going to have to run against uh, San Jose State, and they absolutely did that to the tune of 400 yards. Um, but they're going to have to do the same thing. If you want to beat USC, you keep the ball out of Darnold's hands by establishing the run game, getting Chris Warren. If he's averaging six, seven yards a carry, eating clock, moving chains, that's, that's making Texas fans hopeful. If in the first quarter you're seeing things like that, that's, that's the game plan. So I think they have to rely heavily on that. And then, uh, like you said, let, let Bichelle or Elger get in there on the play action and move the ball, score some points. Um, one thing I do want to point out, and you're actually the one who, who sent this to me earlier today, and, and I just, the, the cringe that's, that's been in my body since <laughs> has not left, but uh, the revisionist history that you, well, you, you can set it up because you're the one that sent it to me, but I, I've done some research here just to disprove how utterly ridiculous USC is. So, so... What Kyle's talking about is that in the USC media guide today, they're listing that they are four and zero against Texas with with one noted um, game that was vacated. Uh, you know, a, a certain a certain man um, going for the corner. Oh, he's got it! Um, all the dreams, all the hopes that that apparently the NCAA vacated a loss for the first time in its history, um, keeping USC four and zero over Texas. So I, I send it as a, just a little bit of a cheeky, like, Hey, this is funny. Um, Kyle had now has, I think this is four full paragraphs in our show notes. So, uh, let's see what he has to say about, about USC's, uh, revising the, the series history. Well, and I think it's, I think it's important to note that the closer you get to either crimson or maroon, the more likely you are to, uh, to revise your history as we've seen, uh, from some teams within our state, that will go unnamed, um, and also uh, the team that uh, everyone names all the time, Roll Tide. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't just make up national championships. You can't just get rid of losses. Uh, and, but, but they did beat us four times. That, that, is, that is unequivocally true. They beat us uh, back to home and home in 55 and 56, uh, which uh, coincides with the worst point in UT's um, probably illustrious history, probably the lowest point. I think they won three games in those two years, one of those a one-win season that uh, immediately led to the firing uh, of the current coach and hiring of a guy named Daryl K. Royal. And that turned out pretty well for the Longhorn 
program, uh, went on that next decade in the 60s to really dominate and put UT on the map. Um, however, they did beat us in 66 and 67, kind of the, the, uh, the average part of, of Royals' tenure um, after the 63 championship and before um, the 69 championship. But uh, they only lost by eight points combined. They were all close games. USC was a good team at that time as well, obviously. Uh, but what happened immediately after that? Well, it was just uh, about one and a half uh, or maybe even three consecutive national championships, uh, depending on how many Malcolm Gladwell podcasts you listen to. Uh, but to be revisionist, uh, there's the Sagarin ratings and then two others, the Matthews Grid and DeVold, both claimed 1968 uh, UT to be the national champions. And that little run also had a 30-game win streak in it. So it worked out pretty well immediately post-losing uh, both times to USC. Um, and then, obviously, they came in with a 32-game win streak that uh, Vince Young ended. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident that, uh, that they have been – integral in these these points in UT's history they've kind of played us just at the time when we were taking off so uh so if if those types of things play out no matter win lose or uh draw can you draw Donald McNabb I don't know but either way win or lose um we uh we're gonna go from here and and I think this is the start of of a really good era in Texas football so so I I I followed you but I want to say so are you saying that Texas is gonna lose but use this to propel themselves to the next heights are you saying that this is like the epic moment the epoch epic moment where texas turns the tide and and beats usc what are you saying there yes um no i uh i think uh either way i mean if if they sam darnold is the chosen one usc is is the non-sec golden child this year uh, and rightfully so and if texas beats them that's that's basically your uh, cinderella story we've seen that once before and if USC wins and comes in and, and, and does their business and uh, Texas looks as good as we, we think they will against them, even even in a loss comes out and, and plays a you know top two or three team uh, play for play, then you see the confidence that instills. You see Texas take that into Big, big 12 play, even though they're one and two. Uh, they're a team that knows that they can step on the field and play anyone else because don't, don't look now, guys, but a couple weeks from now we have uh, a couple top 10 teams in, in Oklahoma and Kansas State who are both very, very good. But we'll get into those as we get closer to those monsters. Absolutely. Well, Kyle, before we go, we love to end the show with our segment, Bang the Drum. So what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, so last week I talked about the tight end play in Tom Herman's system, um, and, and, and that was a big thing that I was going to be looking for against San Jose State. And uh, I think that... I think that you saw a huge adjustment. We talked about the O-line, and I thought uh, it was unfortunate Hudson got hurt. I love that he threw Chris Warren into the end zone for that one touchdown, and then everyone ran over and <laughs> celebrated with him as though he were the running back, which was great. Um, and Jake McMillan looked good. So we saw some of those things, the offensive line, but then we saw uh, Kendall Moore come in um, when Garrett Gray went down, and he's ruled out for this USC game. But Kendall Moore came in, and I think he's our best blocker on, on the roster, that tight end spot. And so he's going to probably play a lot against USC uh, he was named the coach uh, starter with Cade Brewer. Um, I think he's going to play a lot. I think you're going to see him because they use him in the H-back role. They use him kind of as a blocking extra uh, tackle on the end. So he's going to play a lot and help with setting up the run game, which is where you want to attack USC. Uh, I think one other thing that you're going to see this week uh, is our um, tight end recruit, Reese uh, Latow, I believe is how you say it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you, we'll have a third tight end coming in. And so, uh, so I do think that's uh, that's going to be a spot again that I'm going to be watching this week, uh, along with the offensive line, but especially the uh, the tight end play. 
What about you? Yeah, I think the thing I'm going to bang the drum on this week is is the ground game, and specifically, there's a there's a weird stat that I drummed up. So in in the now six games that Chris Warren has played, um, anytime Texas has hit 300 yards rushing, he has also eclipsed 100 yards, and so that show that shows me that he is a rhythm back. He's a guy that has to get into a rhythm. He's a guy that will. He's one of those punishing backs in the late game. You know, you get the defense tired. And then he's going to capitalize. So I think if Texas can can start itching and getting close to you know to you know, 200, 250 yards, uh, he's going to start capitalizing and, and getting those big chunk plays. You see it when when the San Jose State defense was on their heels, he was at his best. And so I think that's that's a stat to watch is uh, you know that correlation between you know Warren's hundred yard games and and Texas hitting three hundred yards. I think if you see either one of those happens, I think we see a positive result for Texas. Um, I don't believe in in moral victories, but I do think Texas if Texas can hit that, they're going to look good on Saturday. Uh, well, you are uh, as big in the obscure stat game as Chris Warren is in the open field to a defensive back. You uh, you annihilated that one. I loved it. I, pre- I appreciate it. So that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter. We are at Longhorn Pod, which was somehow weirdly available. Um, you can email us at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We are a product of Burnt Orange Nation, where you can find all of your best Texas Longhorn sports news and opinions. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter, just like it sounds. Uh, you can find the Texas Pregamer at Barking Carnival every week. And uh, you can find me here on the mentioned podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at GH Goodridge. And until next time, remember, we don't freestyle Texas fight, big fella. Mm-hmm.